Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. We are in the middle of a series called All of Grace, and we come to one of my favorite doctrines tonight. Have you ever come across something, or maybe it's something or perhaps a concept as you were reading or studying, or maybe an action, something that you saw that just kind of left you stunned a little bit, like left in awe, left you Filled with wonder. Something somewhere you've gone, something you've seen. Or maybe to put it another way, for us modern people, something that you remember pulling on your heartstrings. It just, you know, it moved you to tears or your desires. You saw something and you're like, just made you pause. That could be a lot of things, right, in our lives. Typically for me, uh, living out west, it was a lot of times when I would get up um, with my friends and we would leave town and go backpacking in the Sierra Nevadas and be in the middle of nowhere with these giant peaks that we would climb and just sit and just be in awe and stunned at the beauty of creation. It makes you feel really small. And then for many of, for a, a lot of times though, probably for all of us, whenever we come across a, a movie scene or something in a book or maybe something that we see that speaks of sacrificial love that, that, that you witness and it kind of moves you and you're like, that's, that's truly beautiful. Maybe it could be being affirmed by someone that you really admire. Maybe you remember that. Maybe it was one of your parents or your father coming up to you and saying, son, I'm proud of you. Or daughter, I'm proud of you. Or I think you're beautiful. Those are words that you're, you're not going to forget, right? That, that, that tug on your affections, that leave you kind of stunned a little bit. Or maybe when you mess up and you come home and you know you've messed up and perhaps some of you have fathers like this who come to you and say, you know what, son, I know that you messed up. I speak in the masculine because it's me. But I love you no matter what. There's nothing that you can do that can separate your love from me. Or maybe to witness some poor, lowly creature to be received into a new family and receive all the benefits that come with that. See, all these human examples are great ones. But tonight, I want to draw your attention to one of the most marvelous, one of the most stunning, one of the greatest wonders of love in all the world. A wonder that you can experience for the first time tonight, a wonder that many of you have already experienced, but yet have not realized it, or maybe you've forgotten it. This is not a natural wonder, it's a supernatural wonder, something that leaves us in awe. And that is the great doctrine of grace called adoption. Adoption. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a few verses in 1 John. And we've been studying, like I said, the great doctrines of salvation, starting in eternity past in the mind and heart of God, who decided, who decreed to create the world. 
And he decreed the fall to happen. And then he decreed that out of the mass and misery of sinful human man to, to save some for himself, to give a gift to the son. That would be a people. And in eternity past, God came up with this plan. It's called election. And then God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to accomplish that salvation, to, to receive that gift, which is that people through the means of atonement. And then God sent forth his Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. And then he calls his people to himself. And when he calls people to himself, the Holy Spirit implants new life into them. And they're made a new creation. That's regeneration. And when that happens, when the Spirit opens our eyes and gives us new life, we respond. We convert to Christ. And when we respond, we respond in faith. And when we trust in Jesus Christ by faith, all that is Christ's righteousness becomes ours. And we're declared righteous. We're justified. But then something else happens the moment that you trust in Jesus. And it's one sweet, it's one of the sweetest, most comforting, heartstring pulling doctrines. It's the gem. It's the, it's the most beautiful doctrines. If justification is the heart of the gospel, then the doctrine of adoption is the most beautiful doctrine. It really is. It's the gem. And you could feel that truth pulling on the disciple whom Jesus loved, and his name is John. And look at what he says, starting in chapter 2, verse 28, just some context here. He says, and now, little children, that is the church, not literal little children, but little, he's, he's, he's a father, he's a shepherd to this church, to these believers. Now, little children, abide in him, that is Christ. So that when he appears, we may have confidence not to shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That is the evidence of regeneration. Then our verse. See what kind of love the father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, presently. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know for certain that when He appears, we shall be like Him Because we shall see him, that is Christ, as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the question tonight for you in this text, and it's the question that you should be asking, is what does John see that we do not? What is it that John sees that leaves him marveling? Wonder, wondering, filled with wonder and awe at the fact that we've, we are children of God. What is it about us being children of God that leaves him in awe? That is leaving him saying, see, see what kind of love, see the love of the Father. You get the tension there. What is it about the concept of adoption and what is it exactly about it that is causing him to wonder of this great truth, to, to, to get your attention? It's a great question. So the first thing we need to answer is, what is adoption? I think you all know what earthly adoption is. It's very similar, but in spiritual matters. It is the taking of a stranger 
into the relation of a son and heir. Why do I only mention son? Why not daughter? Am I a sexist? Am I being misogynistic here? No, I'm just using the scripture's language. Galatians 4, 4, it says, uh, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Why? This masculine language. That is not politically correct in our time. Paul, you should know better. If you understand the Bible, you understand that it's a historical book. It's an ancient book. And so we got to understand the context in which it was written. And Paul is writing in a time when everyone in that time, male and female, wished that they were the firstborn son of their family. Because... The firstborn son was the one to receive the inheritance. Why? Because he was the heir of his father's and family's estate. And so that is why the masculine language, you shouldn't, ladies, that shouldn't turn you off to this passage. It's really beautiful because now in the new covenant in Christ, it doesn't just apply to sons. You are included in that. You are co-heirs with Christ. All of us. There's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free man, but we're all one in Christ. So don't bring in that feministic nonsense into the text. That's not what it means. It's a beautiful doctrine. So adoption, it's the taking of a stranger into the relation of a son, an heir. That's what it is. It's taking someone who's not blood related into a new family and giving them a new name and new privileges, right? A new family. So why then should we marvel like John? What is it about this, about adoption that gets John fired up? See what kind of love the father has that we would be called children of God. What is John trying to get us to see? Don't you see this, believers? Don't you see this, non-believers, that there is a love that you could have access to that will leave you marveling like John. And that's, so how is it that we could see this great truth more clearly? First, I got, a, I got a bunch of points here. How can we see what John sees? First, we need to see the author of adoption. We need to see the author of adoption. So who is the author? Who is the one that comes up with adoption? Who came up with this concept? Well, it has to go all the way back in the eternity past with God. God is the author. And so what I think is leaving John marveling and in wonder is the fact that God would decide out of pure love to adopt sinners into his family. But why would God do that? Was it because he was lonely in eternity past before creating the world? Why did God create the world? Was was he not happy? Was he missing something? Was there a part of his heart that was missing that he just needed to make us creatures in order for him to be filled? Is God a needy God? No. So why would God decide to do this? He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. In fact, he was in perfect communion with 
the Holy Spirit and the Son. They were in this, if you read C.S. Lewis, what he calls this dance, this love triangle. He was con- they were content and self-sufficient. They didn't need, God was happy before he even created the earth. He wasn't lacking anything. He doesn't need you, so why? Why is it that God, in his infinite wisdom, decide to adopt some people into his family? And we learn this in Ephesians 1.5. It says this. Why? Because in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. It's not because he needed us. It's because he wanted us. He wanted to bring us into the communion he had with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's that his infinite love and mercy and grace, he planned and decreed to bring sinners into that infinite love, into that happiness, into that joy that he had already had in and of himself. It's not that God is needy, it's that we are. We need him. In fact, God is not only the author of adoption, but he's also the accomplisher of it. I read Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Notice the Trinity in this text. That is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God the Father sent forth the Son, Jesus, on a rescue mission. And this Son was born of a woman, a virgin birth, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see, Jesus isn't the only one that saves you. Did you know that? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have a role in salvation. God is not only the author, but he's the accomplisher. And so that's the first thing you need to understand is why? It's because God is a loving God and he's not like us. That's the first thing that is leaving John, I believe, in wonder, in awe. The second thing that you need to see is the grace of adoption. Is the pure grace of this doctrine. What is grace? Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. Adoption is an act of pure grace. It is something none of us deserve, yet... We can receive freely by faith. Here's a question. What, what, um, what adopted child has ever initiated their own adoption? Me and Caitlin are in the process of adoption. You know, I'm talking about infants or those that are adopted. Some of you in here, it's a beautiful thing. Typically, it's the the family member, the father, the family that is initiating. And that's the picture here. It's a grace. It's not something that is in us that causes God to want to adopt us into his family. It's not because of our good works. It's not because little Johnny, he goes to church and he goes to redeem our students. Therefore, I'm going to adopt him. It's nothing, it has nothing to do with us. It's out of God's pure grace. And this alone is a marvel. That though God already had a perfect son, Jesus, he would be satisfied to bring more into his family. That God would be satisfied to choose out of of Satan's family, that we were once children of wrath, Ephesians 2, to bring into his family. 
And so something that you need to understand is that adoption isn't like a king going to one of his fellow lords or nobles from a good family, a wealthy family, and adopting a a child, right? That would be more natural, you would think that, but the idea of adoption in Scripture is more like the kind of a king who would find his worst enemy and adopt them and bring them to the table and bring them into their family. It has to do with the king going to a prostitute and taking her child, adopting her and her child into his family. Something that's unthinkable, right? See the grace of adoption. How can we do that? Well, first, you need to consider who you were before you were adopted into God's family. Consider the state, if you're a believer, in which God saved you and adopted you in. What does the Bible say about sinners? What does the Bible say about those who do not receive Jesus? <laughs> We're undesirable, unlovely. Colossians 1, 20, 21, an enemy of God. John 1, 11, rejectors of God. Not righteous, unrighteous, Romans 3, 10. Not good, Romans 3, 11. People who have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Dead people, Ephesians 2. Desperately wicked people, Jeremiah 17.9. People whose good works are filthy, bloody rags, Isaiah 64.6. The most dead, rotten, vile sinners... Who are enslaved to the elementary things of this world, Galatians 4.3. Who are in bondage to their sin, John 8.33. This is the context behind biblical adoption. This is the people who God is adopting into his family. This is you and I. If you're a believer, this is who you once were. Deformed due to sin. (laughs) It isn't the most lovely that receives the attention and affection of God. But it's the unlovely, it's the unrighteous. This is like me going, you going to find your worst enemy, the most unloving person to adopt. A young teenager who is a murderer, a criminal, despised, abandoned, rebellious, who has never loved anyone or been loved himself. And it's that person whom God sets his love and affection upon and brings him into his family. That is the grace of adoption. That is the marvel of it. That God would set his love upon you, knowing your past, present, and future sin. Every thought that you would think, every secret sin that you have committed, every flaw that you have, every failure that you have, yet he sets his affection upon you. That is the grace of adoption. That is the thing that John wants us to see what kind of love the Father has for us. I I can't illustrate this any more than Ezekiel 17. 16. So if you have your Bibles, go there. Ezekiel, it's in the Old Testament. All I have to do is read this for you to understand the grace and to consider who we once were. And he's talking about Israel, but we are just like Israel. We are idolaters at heart. We are sinners. And I can't think of a more beautiful picture for you to embed into your hearts than this passage when it comes to God's grace of adoption. Ezekiel 16. 
the Old Testament. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And say thus, says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are the land of the Canaanites. Those are the pagans. This is where Israel came from. You are idolaters. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. You worshipped other gods. You were polytheistic. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. But when I passed by you, and when I passed by you, and saw you wallowing in your blood, think uncleanliness, that's what blood is. I said to you, in your blood, live. And I said to you, in your blood, live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field. So you see the picture of God the Father scooping up this dirty, unloved, unwanted child into his arms, cleansing her off. And you grew up, verse, verse 7, and became tall. And you arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Remember the church, it's a picture of a bride. Beautiful bride. When I passed by you again, I saw you. This love language of the Father here. Behold, you are of age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. And I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with an embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adored you with ornaments. I put a bracelet on your wrists and chain for your neck. I put a ring on your nose. It's just lavishing grace and earrings for your ears and beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour. You were fed and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. See the grace of adoption. See the author of adoption. See the grace of adoption. Number three, see the cost of adoption. Oh, what manner of love. This foreign love, that word actually means it's like a love that comes from a foreign country. It's a love that this world doesn't understand or know. How great the love of God's love that we would become children of God. So point number three, see the cost of adoption. Did you know that the average cost of adoption it ranges, but from the agencies that Caitlin and I have been working with, it ranges from 38000 to about $45,000. And that's just d- domestic, in-state. If you go out of state or international, it could even be more than that. Adoption is expensive. 
And by God's providence and the help of dear friends in this church, many of you and your families, we've been able to reach that, our, our need. We were able to raise what we need. And it is expensive. And Caitlin and I, though, we, and all of you, we bear that expense for the sake of that precious little child. That precious little child doesn't know that, whoever he or she is. But we bear that expense, that cost, out of love and affection. And not only that cost, but then also the cost of all the years after that. Every father in here knows that, <laughs> or parent. The cost of raising a child. Not only the money, but the physical toll and the emotional toll. Friends, do you know the cost and the price and the expense of your purchase, of your redemption that God provided? Do you know what that cost and that price was? It was the precious blood of His only begotten Son. That God would give His Son so that you can become a son or daughter. The expense of your purchase, your redemption, is Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption is the buying of the freedom of a slave, it's purchasing someone's freedom. And so, what is that price? It was the blood of Jesus Christ for you. That was the cost of his only son, the heir, the firstborn of all creation. Our older brother gave up his life so that you may become co heirs with him. Jesus, our older brother, who accomplishes our adoption. What a marvel. I mean, it makes sense to spend thousands of dollars, perhaps on a, on a, on a child, just in general, that, you, that is healthy, that you bring into your family, no problems, hopefully. And then it maybe makes sense to spend a couple of hundred dollars, maybe more, for a baby that maybe someone doesn't want. I don't know. But you've got to think in the, in the concept of, of the spiritual adoption. That we are the most unlovely, most unwanted. And the cost, the expense is that God would give his own son as the price to receive you. <laughs> what kind of love is this? There's nothing like it, friends. Where are you going to find love like that in this world? Where? And your boyfriend? Sorry, guys will never be able to provide that. And your girlfriend, no. They'll never be able to provide that. They will always let you down. And your spouse, and your boss, and your family. There's no love like that. That's insane. That's the scandal of grace. That's the scandal of the cross. That God would give up his own son by his blood that would be shed for you. And with that adoption into God's family... You know what comes with it? All the benefits and blessings of being a part of a new family. That when we have the opportunity of bringing a child into our home, we're going to give them a new name. They receive the stead name. And all the privileges and blessings and benefits of being a stead. Which primarily is that they get to know you and this church. 
But you see, there's more to adoption than just adopting into the family. There's more that goes with it. And so this is point number four that I think is on John's heart and mind too, is to see the privileges of adoption. The privilege, the benefits, the blessings. What are the blessings that you have if you're a Christian today? And I believe this is what John is trying to press into the believers that he's writing to because they're being persuaded. They're being tempted by false teachers to believe that they aren't really saved. They have no assurance. And John is lovingly reminding them, don't you see that if you have trusted in Christ, been born of him, don't you see what you have? So going back to 1 John 1, 3, or sorry, 1 John 3, 1, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. There's a present reality that you have received all the blessings of being God's child. So what is it about being a child of God today, right now, that is the cause of such praise? That should leave you marvel, marveling. First, the first privilege is that you become a son and daughter to a good father. To a good father. Our Father in heaven. You know, Jews never prayed that. The term for that, uh, for, to, to address God as a father, that was foreign to the New Testament believers until Jesus taught them how to pray. Our Father in heaven. And our Father in heaven is so much greater and better. I hope this is such an encouragement to you. So much greater and more loving and better than your earthly fathers will ever be. And if you don't have a family, this is one of the most precious truths that you can have and know. If you have a father that maybe is in the home, provides for you, but is emotionally absent, this is a great doctrine for you. Because we have a father. If you're a Christian, you have a family, and you have a father who, unlike our earthly fathers, will never leave you or forsake you. Those whom he adopts into his family, he never casts out. It doesn't matter what you do. He will never cast you out. His children always will have access. You always will have access to his throne. Whenever you're suffering or in need or weak, you have the Father's ear. His children have full access to all of his affections. No matter your daily mess-ups, your failures, his loving kindness still flows to you every day if you are his child. You have access to this love. When you fail, our good father never points his finger at you or shakes his head in disappointment. But he only has arms open for you to receive you. He never says, you did it again. Losing his patience. You have a father in heaven who will always protect you. Who will always provide for your every single need. We have some good fathers. Some of you have some awesome fathers. And you think of some of the great qualities of them. Well, I just it's infinitely beyond that. And every father in here knows that. That's why I pray for my little daughter someday that she would come to know her heavenly father because I'm going to be a failure. When you rebel and backslide into sin, he lovingly disciplines you. He doesn't cast you out. He disciplines you to restore you. 
Your earthly father will supply every need of yours according to his riches. We have every, this is one of the most, the biggest travesties that you could do or commit. One of the biggest sins you could commit against God is to believe that he is not a loving father. He is so loving. That's the first thing. If you're a child, you have access to him. Secondly, you are an heir. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son or daughter, an heir. All that is Christ is yours. I think of the, the picture, the wedding picture in, second, in, in Song of Solomon. Yes, beautiful book. You should read it. Song of Solomon 2, verse 16. The bride exclaims this. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. There's this union that all that is Christ is now yours. All of his benefits, all of his righteousness, all of the privileges that Christ has is yours. You are an heir. You have access to all the things that Christ has access to. All your salvation, all your sanctification, all the riches of his grace, all the promises find their yes and amen in Christ. And they're yours. It's the riches of his grace that just keeps pouring out upon us. The criminal now made a prince. We've been adopted as sons. So I love what Paul says. He says, for you who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How can this be that God in his grace would adopt me and you? Do you see that? And so this leads us to the conclusion. How do we know we have received adoption into God's family? How do you know you're a child of God? Number five, see the effects. There's an effect of adoption. Adoption will have an effect on you. And it's a good one when you're in Christ. I love what John says. First John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. There's a sanctification act aspect here because we shall see him as he is and everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So how do you become an adopted child? Simply put, Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And that faith, that true saving faith, will prove itself by what is called the obedience of faith. There's always an effect. So the question is this. Are you living according to your new status as sons and daughters of the king? Believer, you carry the family name now. You, you wear the family robe. You wear the family crown. And so are you living consistently with that status that you are a child? Those who have been shown such marvelous grace, they always respond with gratitude in their heart, with worship, with praise. They want to obey their father because of all the good things that I just mentioned. They they want to submit. They want to obey. They want to honor. They want to hear his words. They want to commune with him in prayer. 
true sons and daughters of God live to please and glorify their good father in all that they do. And you won't be perfect, but you have a heavenly father who will help you, who will hold you by the hand. Sons and daughters of the king love to commune with him in prayer. So friends, are you claiming to be an adopted child of God when in fact you're still a child of the devil? If, you, if your heart is not moved at all by this truth, then you probably have yet to see the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's children always carry the family name and they represent him around others. And they long to see sinners adopted into God's family. And they long for the day that he returns in glory. Does this represent you? If not, you could have the status as son or daughter today. Cry out to the Lord. Pray to him, seek him, say, God, save me a sinner. And you will rec- he will receive you into, your loving arm, into his loving arms. The promise of forgiveness is yours tonight. The promise of adoption is yours tonight if you receive Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. And so I plead with you in the name of Jesus to receive it. I command you by the Holy Spirit to receive this gift of adoption. Do not wait another day. I want to end with this story from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, he was preaching and he says this, do you see what a high honor it is to be called a son of God? Suppose a king of the land should have before him some traitor who is about to be condemned to die. He's telling the story as he's preaching. Suppose that equity and law demanded that this wretch, this criminal, should shed his blood by some terrible punishment for the things that he had done. For this would be a just punishment. And as that criminal stands before the judge awaiting condemnation, all of a sudden the king, who is the judge, stands up and speaks. He leaves his throne and he comes and he speaks to everyone. He says, and he speaks to the rebel, and he says, Rebel, you are deserving the worst of punishment. But I have found a way whereby I can forgive all of your rebellions. I declare you, criminal, thou art pardoned. You're forgiven. You're acquitted. And in that moment, immediately you see the criminal's face and a a, a flush of a smile comes across it. Some joy. You could see it. He can't believe it. But that's not all. The king continues. He says, I also declare you. That you are made rich. See, there is wealth from my account. It is all yours. And another smile passes over this man's countenance. And then again the king says, Man, not only are you pardoned and given riches, thou art made strong, I give you strength, that thou shalt be able to resist all of your enemies. Thou was, thou, the once criminal rejoices again. But the king continues, Man, saith the king, at last, I will make you a prince. Thou art adopted into the royal family, and thou shalt one day wear a crown. Thou art now as much the son of God as thou art the son of thine own father. Can you conceive of the response of that criminal? That poor creature would faint with joy at such a thought. 
that he whose neck was ready for the noose should have his head now ready for a crown. That he who expected to be clothed in in a felon's garb and taken away to death is now to be exalted and clothed in the robes of honor. So, Christian, think what thou do deserve, robes of shame and infamy, but thou art to have those of glory only in Christ. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful truth of adoption. Bless the life groups now as they continue to marvel at such a wonderful truth. God, you are good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.